Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. Amen. Let's study the Word of God for a little bit in this atmosphere, and then we'll take care of the preliminaries at the end of the service. Genesis chapter 2. Now, so I've been meditating on this weekend, and I've got a lot stirring around in my spirit. We're fixing to go to Ireland and do our first first uh, uh, Island Church Dundalk Conference. How many going to be praying for us? We're very excited about that. We're, we're so thrilled to have a church over there. I heard from Pastor Ryan today, and they're getting everything ready. And, uh, you know, this year we're going to do it in a hotel ballroom there in Dundalk, but next year we're going to do it in the church. They've got a big, uh, uh, what, do you, what do you call those big dumpsters they've got? They've been cleaning out the church and getting everything ready. And, and they're believing God uh, that within a, a, a month after this, this uh, conference that they're going to be in their church. Isn't that great? So we, we agree with them by faith. Amen. What's that? They are having prayer there. That's right. They are praying in the church. So that's, that's wonderful. Amen. But, you know, as I begin to think about, all right, it's Easter, and you can, you can reach into the Word of God and pull out all types of messages on traditional, you know, Good Friday, teaching on the cross, teaching on the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, um, kind of like Christmas, you know, you go into the, in the Word, you teach the Christmas story. But, but we must understand that everything that's in this Word must be applicable to our life. It must be able to be applied. Everybody say applied. Now, now, if we can't apply it to our life, what good is it? Just a story, just tradition. So much of, of religion today teaches messages that are unapplicable. You cannot apply them to your life. Now, if we're going to study what happened on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and understand its significance and how to believe we receive its effect into our life, then we're going to have to have some information on how to receive that which God has done for us in Christ Jesus through his work on the cross. Amen? The Bible says, For the preaching of the cross is unto them that perish foolishness, but unto us that are saved it is the power of God. So there is power that was manifested in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, if you're a redemptive student, you study the subject of redemption, which I have for many years, you'll see in the Word of God that Paul, the apostle, who really had the the premier revelation on redemption, talked more about death than he did about the resurrection. Because the death of the Lord Jesus Christ is the point in which his death was able to separate us from everything that was wrong with us because of our first birth. The Adamic curse was broken through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Adamic curse was broken at the cross. And when we come to Jesus, we come to the cross. Amen? Now, that must be something that we just don't leave at the altar of salvation, but it needs to be something that we walk in every day because (laughs) there's just a lot of stuff in life you have to die to. (laughs) Amen? I mean, over my last past 35 years of serving the Lord, you know, you, about the time you think you're, you're getting yourself together spiritually, you know, the devil will throw something up or, or something will put a demand on your character, and you'll figure out you're not near as spiritual as you think you are. <laughs> and there's a few more things you, gotta, you need to really die to. Well, you know, the problem with death is this, is mankind can provide itself with a death. Amen. I mean, I can put you in the parking lot out here and I can back my pickup truck up and run it up to about 40 and run you over and provide you with a death. But I can't provide you with a resurrection. But the good news about Jesus is he has provided you with a death. 
Therefore, he has also given us a resurrection where death can work properly in its place in tandem with the resurrection to give us life. Now, I want, to, I want you to see something in Genesis chapter chapter 2. I, I'd never thought of this. I was, I was meditating on this this week. And, and uh, in verse uh, 19, uh, this is uh, God is talking to Adam. So before the woman was, was formed out of his side. It says, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now, I, remember, I could imagine Adam thought, huh? This is not a concept he was familiar with. It'd be like taking somebody who'd never seen water and telling them, tomorrow we're going swimming. And it'd be like, going what? Well, we're going to go swimming. We're going to go jump in the water. We're going to swim around. They'd have no concept of it. Well, when God made this demand upon his creation, his creation had no concept of what death was. What is death? I mean, God could have explained, said, well, you know, it's going to be, you're going to be separated from me. But, but I tell you, there was a whole lot more to it than what we think. Because even through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that which he carried into heaven itself had to purify that which was in heaven because something must have happened in heaven because of what happened on the earth. Things in heaven had to be purified by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we know that Adam and the woman fell. When they fell, sin produced death. Amen. And death produced separation from God. But the thing you have to understand about death and about your death is this. Death does not show up in the natural realm when you turn 90 years old. That's not when death shows up. Because when God is speaking about here, it's not a physical death. He is speaking about spiritual death. Now, we've said this for years. We just finished teaching on redemption, and it bears repeating. When it comes to the human experience, the word death does not mean the cessation of life. Amen. If you've ever had a house plan that died, it was dead. It ceased to live. You know, our animals, uh, our pets, people say, well, you know, I hope Fluffy goes to heaven. Well, I always think that our pets go to heaven because when Israel left Egypt, they got to take all their animals. So I use that scripture to, you know, that all my dogs are in heaven, and as we've said, cats go to, never mind, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I don't know, if you really knew the nature of a cat, you, you just can't. Can't picture them in heaven, you know. I'm just kidding. All you cat lovers, get healed. Amen. But God was speaking from the realm of the spirit. Now, oh, I don't have time to do this. I'm going to throw it out, just throw it out there for you to consider. God does not live in the realm of time. God lives in the realm of now. Amen. And our fight of faith is to get us in, out of the realm of time and into the realm of now. If you can step into now by faith, you're healed, if that's what you believe in God for, for healing. If you can step into now, because the Bible says what now faith is, yeah. amen, what faith does is pull you out of that realm of time and put you into that realm of God in which God is able to manifest in your life. You've already done it once. 
Some of you twice, some of you three times, some of you five times, some of you maybe 50. I don't know. But you did it once for sure. That's why you're in church right now. One day you believed in your heart, you confessed with your mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead and you stepped out of the realm of time and you stepped into the realm of eternity. And God took one part of you, the real you, which is your spirit man, and he kept him in the realm of eternity. But your flesh and your soul still live in the realm of time or the realm of death. Now we know Adam sinned. Adam and the uh, uh, God created the woman and the woman and the man, they sinned. And God kicked them out of the, of the Garden of Eden and set a guard so that they could not go back in and eat of the tree of life or they would live perpetually in death. You understand what I'm saying? Now, now that brings us to the point of physical death. You say, what is that? Physical death manifested in man because of spiritual death, not the other way around. The reason the spirit gets separated from the body is not because the body wears out or gets a disease. It's because man was separated from God at one time. And in the vacuum of that, sickness, disease, and death entered right in. Now, does anybody know how long Adam lived? Adam lived 800 years. But time didn't begin for him. The clock didn't start until the day he sinned. That's when death began. Separation from God. Separation from God created the realm of time. That's why an eternal being like Satan is so freaked out. Because he lives in the realm of the eternal, but he's bound to a clock, which is ticking down every day until his total demise. Won't that be great? Amen. But in the meantime, from Adam to Moses... Adam to Noah to Moses to Abraham, all the way down, all through humanity, death reigned. That means men were born, men lived, and then physically they died. But spiritually, if they were not connected to God through some type of a covenant, they went into eternal death or eternal separation from God. Now let me just say this. There is a motivation in man to stay alive. <laughs> you ever notice that? How many want to live? I heard a story about a, uh, several years ago. Two, uh, uh, this was this was down in South Texas, and and uh, two two young young men. They were uh, high school students. Had gone off to a, to a kids camp and got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost and really turned on for God. And so they were uh, went out hunting. They were out bird hunting with a couple of shotguns and were walking home. And they were coming up. They were coming home over a railroad track. Now these were these were two white boys. And they were two, two, two uh, black young men, two African Americans, coming the other way. So here come these two white boys with shotguns, these two black boys coming across the railroad track. So they're all fired up, and they want to witness to these two, to these two Afri African American young men. So the first thing they said was this: "Would you like to die? To, are you gonna? Do you know where you're gonna go when you die?" Well, they thought they were fixing to shoot them, so they took off running. Well, that, what those two uh, other boys, they took off after them, running with shotguns. Now, what happened was is they caught up with them, explained what happened, talked to them, and the, the, the two young men ended up getting saved. One of them became a preacher. Uh, that's, the, the, that's how I heard the story is the guy that became the preacher told the story. How'd you get saved? A white boy chased him with a shotgun. <laughs> Amen. So everybody wants to live. Amen. But you have to understand, we're, we're not living on some type of a prearranged deal 
of, well, you know, when your time is up, it's up. Well, I hope that's not true of the airline pilot I'm flying with on Tuesday. <laughs> Amen? No, no, what happens is men are born, women are born onto the planet. They're born under the curse of the fall of man, under this death that is talked about in Genesis chapter 2, and from that point forward, they begin to die. But humanity, even in fallen humanity, there's this great resistance against death. Look at the size of our hospitals. Look at the size of, of, of medicine and pharmaceuticals and insurance and, and everything. And I'm telling you, you can go out of here and get an accident and, and your heart is still beating and they'll hook you to every machine and they'll do everything to do to try to get, I mean, I mean, those doctors and those, they fight death and fight death and fight death and hate to lose. Death is an enemy. I said death is an enemy. So now all down through humanity, from Adam to Noah to Noah to Abraham to Moses to Joshua to David to the, to, the, to the major and minor prophets all the way down through humanity until one day someone was born on this planet which was very unique. Just like the first man, Adam, who was not created to die, neither was Jesus procreated to die. You say, what do you mean by that? Jesus was not born of the seed of the man and the woman. He was born of the seed of the woman and of the word of God. So as we participated with communion tonight and drank of the cup, that blood that flowed in his veins was not tainted by the death that's talked about in Genesis chapter 2. So when Jesus walked on the earth, he was not a man subject to death. But he did not come to live 5,000 years on the earth. He came to take death. And you've got to hear this tonight. If you can hear this tonight, this will help you. He came to take death and use death against death. Thus the cross. You say, what do you mean? Death is the enemy of humanity. Human beings will do anything to live another week, to live another day, to live another year, to live another 10 years. They fight it. They do everything they can do. Live, live, live. I want to live. I want to continue to exist. But the problem is our existence is until physical death runs its course. But then here comes Jesus. And he's, you know, he's, he, he comes to the earth. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. Philippians chapter 2 talks about how he, he, he relinquished himself of everything that he was in heaven. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. But then God highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name. So the reason death affected us so much is because we were all counted among the seed of humanity in the loins of Adam. And when Adam fell into death through his trespass, we all fell into death. Which began with what? Separation from God in our spirits. Which culminates in separation from our bodies and eternal separation from God. A place we don't want to go. And we don't want anybody else to go. That's why we have Island Church. Now if you will, go all the way over to... See the best way to do this. Go all the way over to Romans chapter 6. 
So Jesus lives his life here on the earth. And he came to do the will of the Father, which was to redeem the fallen human race that began as the family of God and through sin and death turned into the family of man. And when Jesus was on the earth, he called himself son of man. Now the reason he called himself son of man is because he was God habitating a body, relinquishing himself of all the attributes of God. One of the great mysteries of redemption is how God can take on humanity and remain God and humanity can take on the divine nature and still remain human. You, don't, you never evolve into being a God. You remain in, the human, in God's family, but you remain a human being in God's family. Now, thank God he did signs and wonders and miracles. Thank God we draw faith off of the word that's spoken about him. Thank God the revelation of him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John shows us the nature of God. He went about doing good. God is a good God. He went about doing good. God is a good God. He was the reflection of God. He was the image of God. He was the nature of God in manifestation. But as he began to do at that Passover ceremony, that ceremony and begin to go toward Gethsemane and pray. The anguish and the weight of what he was fixing to do begin to hit him. This is real. I'm going to die. And it was not a human being dying and being raised from the dead. You say, what do you mean by that? There's been other humans that's died and been raised from the dead. You know that? Lazarus was raised from the dead. What, there was a, 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 a soldier that was thrown into the tomb of Elisha. And when the soldier's uh, 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 bones hit the uh, body, hit the, uh, the bones of Elisha, there was enough power in a dead prophet's bones to raise him from the dead. There was a woman in Israel, had a little 15-year-old son that, that God had given her, and, and Elijah raised him from the dead. We could talk several incidences in the Bible where human beings were raised from the dead. But this was not the situation with Jesus. Jesus began at that point of prayer when he released himself unto the will of the Father, and a simulation began to happen. He began to gather. Everybody say gather. He began to gather, gather gather from every race, from every tribe, from every creed, from every person, from every man, from every woman, and because he was God, he could reach into the past and gather, and he could reach into the future and gather. Come on. What is he gathering? What is he gathering? What is he gathering? He's gathering that element of that death that got into humanity in Genesis chapter 2. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. He's pulling all the motivation of sin from the human family and all of the trespass that motivation produces. Every broken commandment, he's taking it upon himself. The Bible says in Isaiah that his, his, his body was so marred, so disfigured, you could not look upon him and tell he was a human being. The, uh, in two different of the Gospels, the Roman centurion standing by the cross said, surely this is the Son of God. But listen, God is a 
His wisdom is so far from, from our wisdom. His knowledge is so far from our knowledge. He's so smart. He's super smart. Because see, Jesus would have never died because there was no death in him because there was no sin in him. So there had to be an element of sin that produced death because without sin, there is no death. So he took my sin and he took your sin and as that sin began to accumulate, the adversary, who is the manifestation of death, looked upon that cross and forgot who was hanging there because he's greedy. And what did he see? He saw sin. And what does sin produce? Separation from God. That's why Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Jesus died not because of his own sin or his own sin nature. He died because of the sin nature of you and I. Now, you ready? When he died, he took it to the place of eternal separation from God. If he did not take our punishment, we will have to because redemption was a total exchange. Our sin for his righteousness, amen? Our iniquity for his goodness, our sickness for his healing, our poverty for his riches, heaven for hell. And down in the place of eternal death or eternal separation from God, three days and three nights, he rose and spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly. And we'll study the resurrection on Sunday. But what about this death thing? Now you're in Romans 6. First, Romans 5. Let me read your scripture in Romans 5. It says in verse 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet pre-adventure for a good man some would even dare die. But God commendeth his love toward us. Now this, this is a scripture that really ought, to, really, really ought to make you sit up and, and understand something about your heavenly father. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what is death? It is separation. But what does death become in the hands of God? Now think about that for a second. God did not create death. Death came through sin. It was not unique just to Adam because there was another being in heaven that tried to cause insurrection and he got separated from God. Satan is the ultimate picture of spiritual death. Spiritual death is what? The nature of spiritual death is to still kill and destroy. Everything about death is to still kill and destroy. So what purpose would death be as a tool in the hand of a loving God? Now we go to Romans chapter 6. 
What shall we say then? Shall we, sin, shall we continue in sin that grace may, may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are what? Dead to sin. There's your answer. <laughs> Somebody should have shouted. Because if you ever had any problems with sin, you must realize a death was provided for you that what? What is death? Separation. That separates you from sin. Now listen to me. Don't get mad. If you sin, you do not sin by your nature. You sin by your will. Let me say that again. If you sin, if you are living in sin, if you're continually practicing sin, you are not doing it by your nature. You do not have that nature. You're doing it by your will. You are willing to sin. Say, the devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make you do it. You are doing it by your own human will. And God has provided a tool, a power for you. You say, what is that power? That is death. He has given you death so that you can be separated. Now, now stay with me. Mm -mm. I like this. This helped me so much. Know ye not, so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his? Why? Why did it say we were baptized into his resurrection? What good does it do to step into the realm of resurrection power when we are still connected to the sin nature? As it says in Colossians, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. He delivered us from death so that we might live in resurrection power. That's why it says I'm not ashamed of the preaching of the cross. For it's the what? It's the power of God. There's power in death. Now notice this, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the glory of the, raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in not changed life, new life. That's most people's problem. They get changed, they try to, they get saved, they try to change. I'm sorry, no, I gotta quit drinking. I gotta quit smoking dope. I gotta quit doing this. You'll never do it. You'll continue to practice sin by your will because your nature trained your will. Now let me say that again. Your nature changed your will. That's why people, even though they're saved and they love God, but they still struggle with anger, they struggle with hate, they struggle with prejudice, they struggle with addictions. It is because your nature so trained your will to submit to that behavior and you've done it so long, and even after you got saved, you were so weak to stop it from happening that you just gave up. Hey, no, that's just the way I am. I can't help it, Pastor. I'll drink till I'm dead. I'll smoke till I'm dead. You'll go to heaven, sure, but you'll live under the bondage of that when God's provided you a way out. He has provided you a separation. Are you with me? Newness of life. Everybody say newness of life. For if we've been planted together, in the likeness of his death, we shall, also, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Now, we have to let death do its work. What did we say death is? When it comes to the human experience, it is separation from God. But when it comes to redemption, it is God's ability to use death to separate you from what separated you from God. 
I'm telling you, this works for healing. This works for prosperity. This works for deliverance. This works for everything that you need in the kingdom of God. Oh, I don't want to do that. I'll just give you a little preview of coming attractions. What this does is this empowers you to continually step out of the realm of time and into the realm of eternity or timelessness to partake of the divine nature and bring it back into the realm of time and enjoy it. That's what faith is all about. You're not making enough trips <laughs> to the clinic where you get the life you need. Can I say it any plainer? <laughs> Amen. Knowing this, our old man is crucified with him. What is the old man? That doesn't mean your grandfather. You know, That means the old you. The you that was born of the water of your mother's womb is the old man. And what happened to the old man? He was nailed on the cross with Jesus. You say, now that's impossible, Pastor, because there's, there's millions of people that are saved. And before, and before Jesus came, there were millions of people. But listen, the devil caused one man to sin and one man to fall into death and unrighteousness, which gave God the right to use one man to redeem us. One man was the prototype. He got destroyed. So God said, I'll raise up a brand new one in Christ Jesus, and he'll never be destroyed. Now, I like this is a simple scripture here. You need to get this in your spirit. For he that is dead is freed from sin. That's an easy message to preach. Because if you relate it to physical death, let's just step out of this realm of spiritual and step into physical death and talk about how dead people think. Amen? You say, well, dead people don't think. Well, how do you know? So you can, we, got, we got Bob Jones. I hope you're naming Bob Jones, but he's laying up here in a casket. He owes money. He's had problems with alcohol. The police are after him, fixing to kick him out of his house. They want to repossess his car. And if you were to go to his casket, stand there and rehearse that to him, you would find out he would have no response to your report. Now, we, we laugh at that like some kind of a joke. Why do you have a response? Why do you have a response when the same report comes to you when God says you're dead in Christ and freed from sin? For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ... We believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the, dead, from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died once, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Now notice this. Likewise, here, this is what you've got to hear. This is the scripture you've got to circle tonight. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So after salvation, how many times have you ever in your prayer life, in your prayer closet, or in any time lifted up your hands and said, thank you, Father, I'm dead. We don't do that. But we ought to. 
We say, we, I do. I've done it for years because there's still stuff I'm trying to die to. And the problem of trying to die to it is you're still not dead to it yet. But the things that I have died to are gone out of my life. You say, why? Because I'm dead. I'm dead. I don't think like that no more. I don't respond to it anymore. I have no emotional connection to it anymore. Neither does it put baggage into my life. I had a guy one time. He kind of gave himself away. Bless his heart. Preacher. So you live down there on Galveston Island? I said, yeah. And you go surfing? I said, yeah. That time I'd been surfing about 35 years. I said, yeah. He said, well, what do you do about all them girls down there in them bikinis? I said, I don't do anything. I don't think like that. And his face got red. He said, what do you mean? I'm dead to it. I'm dead to it. That don't bother me. That don't bother me. It does not tempt me. It does not entice me. It does not draw on me in any way. It produces no stimulation. And there's nothing that it can put into my mind that will cause me to react in such a way that I would entertain something about that that would be unrighteous. How can you do that? That's how strong death is. Now, if you learn to do that with a sickness or a disease, prob problem in your finances, a problem with, with your anger, it works the same way. It's got to work in every area of your life. Now, let me, let's go down to, go down to verse, how's my time? Ooh, go down to verse 14, is, is it 15, is this helping anybody? What shall we say then? Oh, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Now the sin unto death is back to Genesis 2. Genesis 2, separation from God. But verse 17, but God be thank you were. Everybody say, I was the servants of sin, but have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, one translation says, system of truth, which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants. Actually, that's a, that's a poor word. The word is really a slave. You become slaves of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the weakness of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. Now, here's the key. I'll close with this. Everybody say your members. Now, your flesh is crazy. Absolutely crazy. See, most people... That's our problem. We're so well educated now and we're so civilized now and we're so, you know, uh, we have air conditioning, toilet paper. We got all this great stuff, you know. How'd I come up with that? Air conditioning, toilet paper. Anyway. <laughs> stuff you have to have, you know. But our members... Anybody here ever smoked before you got saved? Don't raise your hand. I was, I was just, <laughs> just making a statement, amen. People. <laughs> Remember your first one, that first Winston, that first Marlboro, that first cool. 
I did go to Baja, that first cool. Didn't your lungs and your throat, didn't it just welcome that in? I, I've told this story for years because it was, so, it was so real to me. I was not raised in a home where there was alcohol or, 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 or uh, cigarettes. And uh, the first time I ever drank a beer, I was 17 years old. And I was at a rodeo in Pasadena, Texas. And I was walking out of the arena and a friend of mine, was. they were sitting in the back of a pickup. They had a big ice chest. And they said, hey, Rusty, come have a beer. I thought, you know, I'd seen all the commercials back then. Remember all those beer commercials back in the 70s? And, man, they had the crystal water, all the beautiful people, you know. and the, How they made it look so good, so good. This has got to be the best. And I'll never forget this. As long as I live, as God is my witness. They, it was a Lone Star, long neck Lone Star beer, and they popped the top on it. And I just, you know, everybody's watching you. So I poured down about three big glugs of it. And then I, I had this strangest thought. This was the thought. Of all the beers in that ice chest, I got a rotten one. <laughs> Amen? And I found out that's the way it tastes. <laughs> so how do you end up a four-pack-a-day smoker and a, and a case of beer drinker when even your flesh tells you it's no good? You yield your members. That, that, that iniquity, that force on the inside is so strong. That iniquity motivates. And, and a lot of people, a lot of people use willpower not to do it. A lot of people just say, you know, I'm just not going to do it. I'm using my will. Some people did. Some, of you did. Some people like me didn't have that much willpower. And so that iniquity gets stronger. You do it over and over. And then all of a sudden, that, that, that separation from God on the inside trains your flesh. Paul knew that. He's talking to the Romans. You ever seen a Roman movie? You ever seen what they used to do? You ever really read historically about the Romans? They had some issues. They couldn't even eat right. They'd go, they'd go, they'd have these big feasts, and they had these places called the vomitorium. And they gorge and gorge and gorge. And they had big long feathers in the vomitorium. They'd go in there and stick them down their throat and go back and eat more. They had issues. Iniquity had trained them. And he's writing to who? He's writing to the Romans. Good group of people to write this to. And he says to them, I speak after the manner of men. He says, now I'm going to give you an illustration you can relate to. This is what he said. I'm going to give you an illustration you can relate to because you can relate to this because all of you have gone through this. All of you know what this is all about. Because of the weakness of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity. You say, what does that mean? The more you yield to it, the stronger it gets. It gets stronger, iniquity gets stronger. Next thing you know, iniquity is telling you things to do that if you just thought about that, you wouldn't do it. So I don't believe that. Then why do we build prisons? Because people break the civil law because iniquity gets so strong. 
I was watching a deal the other night about these mass murders. They named three of them that, that killed all these people up north. I did all this stuff. One guy dressed up like a clown, all this kind of stuff. Crazy. What was that? Iniquity got stronger and stronger and stronger. And I'm going to tell you what. Your flesh can get so strong through the motivation of iniquity that you'll void common sense. You'll void it. But he says, now, 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 as you used to be, as you used to be a drunk, as you used to be hooked on tobacco and drugs, as you used to be hooked on, as, as you used to do that with your flesh, now this is what he's saying, yield your servants and cleanness unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. So he says, here's what you're going to have to do because that motivation in you is gone. What we say earlier? If you're sinning, you're not doing it by nature, you're doing it by will. So God says, here's what you've got to do. First of all, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. So you're going to have to get scriptures that relate to the power of the cross, the power of death. I'm dead with him. I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to iniquity. You've got to begin to say that. You've got to begin to believe it in your heart and say it with your mouth. Then you've got to begin to yield your members. What are your members? The little things that used to roll the joints and pop the top on the beers and light the cigarettes and, and take you to the bars and, and do all the evil things that you used to do. You've got to begin to yield that as a servant to righteousness, allowing righteousness in you to motivate what you do. So we get people that get real nervous around here when the Holy Ghost gets to move in. I used to get real nervous. When I first came back to the Lord, I started going to meetings, getting around Brother Hagen, Kenneth e. Hagen. A lot of you might not know who he was. He's a wonderful man of God that really helped change the world with the Word of God. And I started getting in these Holy Ghost meetings. Now, it, it, it brought me back to when I was a kid, and those meetings used to happen. And people used to run, and people used to shout, and people used to dance, and people used to, and, I, and back then I'd say, I'll never do that. That's stupid, crazy. But I, I would never do that. See, one of the biggest hurdles that people ever jump over after they get saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, do you know what it is? You know what it is? It's not really running around the church or dancing. It's actually coming to church and doing this. How many of you, when you walked into a church like this and see people like that, you thought, oh, my God. <laughs> One of them churches. One of them churches. I got a friend in Waco. They call their church. We're that church. <laughs> Amen. Not realizing God wants to put you in an atmosphere in which you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth. The things that God says about you when it comes to his death, his burial. And we're going to get over and start talking about the resurrection, the life of God, the power of God, the anointing of God, the power in the name of Jesus, the power of the Holy Ghost that comes through the resurrected Christ that is in you. It's in you now. So much power is in you now that if you could ever learn how to release it, you could turn the world in the opposite direction. You've got the literal creative power of God Almighty pulsating in your spirit. But we struggle with a, you know, a friend of mine who pastored for a year and, and, and secretly dipped snuff because he couldn't, you know, what, what's it, skull? 
He, could, he just couldn't break that habit until finally he got some teach-ups. Man, I'm dead to that. He said, I begin to say it. I begin to say it. I begin to say it. He said, then I begin to yield my members. I wouldn't let my hands, I wouldn't let my eyes go to the place it was in the store. I wouldn't let my hands reach toward it. I got all of the, I got it all. And he said, next thing I know, I begin to lift my hands. I begin to shout unto the Lord. I begin to use all of my body, my flesh. I forced my flesh to begin to respond to the nature on the inside of me. And it's got to be get beyond this and this. Amen. So people say, man, you're just trying to get people to run around. No, I'm not going to let you do that tonight. I'm just I'm putting some seed in you to help you. For you to understand that God has given you a power on the inside. He has used death against death. A separation has taken place. And it's taken place in the most important place that it needs to happen is in your spirit man. And in your spirit man, God has separated you from the devil, from the flesh, from the world. He's imparted righteousness in you. Then he sealed you with the down payment or the earnest money contract of everything you're going to get that God's going to give you through redemption. Which means glorified body and living with him forever. But in the meantime, God has called you to walk in victory on this earth, still being saddled with a mind that's crazy and flesh that wants to go nuts. To prove to everybody around you that the nature of God is stronger than the nature of the devil. And the number one person that you need to prove that to is yourself. Because you'll never prove it to anybody else till you prove it to yourself. And God has given us the tools. He's given us the equipment. He's given us the anointing. He's given us the word. He's given us the spirit to do what? To step over into the realm in which the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ in which he has provided us a death upon can be actually something relevant instead of something we just celebrate with bunnies and chocolate. Come on, church. Say, well, okay, all right. What do we do? Simple. Thank you, Father. I'm crucified with him. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved and gave himself for me. Thank you, Father. I'm buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead, even so I also. Walk in newness of life. Now instead of my feet taking me to the bar and to the dope dealer, to the pornographic theater, takes me to church. Instead of my knee bowing in front of a toilet to throw up something I've inebriated myself with, I bow my knee to Jesus at the altar of prayer. Instead of lifting my hands to a sports team and shouting at the top of my lungs when they score, I lift my hands to my God. And I shout at the top of my lungs at the victory he's provided me in Christ Jesus. Instead of allowing my hands to handle sin and what the sin nature does, I allow it to handle not only the book, the Bible, but the technology God has given us. And I, and I pull messages off the internet and I, and I read books about God. And instead of letting my eyes sit in front of, uh, of movies that hurt and harm and observe other things, I, I put my eyes on the word. My son, attend to my word. Incline thy ears into it, saying, Let it not depart from your eyes. Keep it in the midst of your heart. For it is life unto those that find them, 
and health to all your flesh. Everything in the Word of God is designed for transformation. And once that transformation, the, the, listen, I remember coming back to the Lord, being filled with the Holy Ghost, and, and, and in a few short days, the same desires, the same appetites were beginning to wake up on the inside of me. The, the uh, how can I say this, the, uh, the initial euphoria of my returning to the Lord, being accepted and being filled with the Holy Ghost was over quickly. And I was left with flesh and a mind that were in a mess. But there was still deposited in my spirit enough resolve to apply to my human will. And it was not, I don't want to do it. It was this, I can't do it. I want to do it. I want to smoke it. I want to take it. I want to go there. Can't do it. I can't do it. Well, then what are you going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do. But I'm going to use the strength of that can't to get me to the place where I know what I'm supposed to do. And if you'll do that and make a decision, I'm going to let the strength and the power of I can't do that no more. I can't do that no more. I can't do that no more. If you'll let the strength of that bring you to the place of the information and the power of the word that you need, you'll find out all of the things that you thought you can't do, you don't want to do anymore. You don't want to do it anymore. You're not only delivered from the problem, from the habit, from the addiction, you're, you're delivered from the torment of the appetite it produced in your mind and your flesh. I mean, when I used to travel a lot and would be tired, I would think about, yeah, man, I'd just like to, you know, I'd like to go smoke a joint and lay back in a hot tub for a But you know, as soon as that thought would hit my mind, automatically something would rise up out of my spirit. I remember the first time it happened. These words rose up, how dare you? I knew it was the Holy Ghost. I was like, ooh. Because when God speaks to you with correction, you better listen. He'll speak to you differently. And it wasn't three days later. I was driving to a meeting, and I pulled into a gas station, and I got my, the, the deal and stuck it into my uh, uh, gas tank of my car and turned around, and sitting right on the gas pump was a great big old fat joint. And I just laughed and flicked it away. Amen? You say, why? I didn't want to. That's exactly what this process and this revelation does in your life. It removes the want to. Now, we use it with sin because that's what that scripture is about. But listen to this. I don't want to have the flu. Same thing. I don't want to be broke. Same thing. I don't want to be depressed. Same thing. Come on, church. That's why you take the simplicity of the Scripture, and as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. There is so much. I was listening the other day. Brother Frank, you can begin to play softly. I was listening the other day to some teaching. I won't tell you who it was by, but it's a very well-known minister. 
And they made this statement, said, you know, so much has been criticized about the, quote, confession message because the distortion of the confession message takes the weight of the Word of God out of the confession and puts a Cadillac in it. I don't like those name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. But if you realize the real strength of the confession message begins with the new birth. If thou shalt believe in thy heart and confess with thy mouth. That's where the confession mess starts. Right there. Right there is where the confession. And I still confess I'm saved. Just like I confess I'm healed. Just like I confess there's power in the cross. Just like I confess there's life in the resurrection. Just like I confess heaven is my home. Jesus is my Lord. Just like I confess that by his stripes I'm healed. Because as long, now listen, if you can engage your mouth in the word of God and get your heart geared into it, you step over into what? It's called living in the spirit. And when you live in the spirit, you don't live in the realm of time where all this stuff has its power. You say, well, the clock keeps moving and the calendar keeps folding. Yes, it does because we're still here on this earth. But the dominance of your spirit, which is already living in eternity and enjoying its benefits, begins to dominate your mind and your flesh. You find out, I'm going to tell you something, Easter's a little bit bigger than just the watching an Easter movie on TV and getting some chocolate on Sunday. That's when Jesus provided a death for me. You know, all the Muslim world, we were talking with Egan and Hannah, who were here Wednesday night, about all the phenomenal things that are happening in the Muslim world right now. About how many, many, not just not just five or ten, but thousands of Muslims are having dreams about Jesus. Jesus is appearing in front of them. He, he, told, he told a little of the story that I told when I got home from Tanzania about the Iman. That, 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 that Jesus appeared to him in dreams and he kept rejecting and rejecting. And Jesus walked up onto him on the street, opened up his hands, said, I died for you. Allah's not your God, I am. He fell on his knees, got saved. Egan didn't tell the other part of the testimony. He went back to the mosque, told the story, and 3,000 of the Muslims got saved. They pray a prayer in the Muslim religion. They call God Allah. Oh, Allah. Oh, Allah. They cry out. They bow. They pray five times a day. Oh, Allah, give us a death in which there is no life so that we can have a life in which there is no death. They're talking exactly about redemption. They're praying for redemption. And God's answering their prayer. Because Jesus provided us a death in which there is no life. There's no life to that addiction. There's no life to that depression. There's no life to that doctor's report. There's no life to that financial report. There's no life to it. There's no life. Then he's given us a life in which there is no death. That's what God has performed for us in Christ. Lift your hands and worship the Lord. Father, we worship you tonight. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for that what you're doing here at Island Church. The work of the cross, the work of the resurrection, the work of your word, the work of your spirit, the work of the supernatural. We're so thankful. Father, thank you so much for your blessing. Lord, we pray over our island this week. We know there's a large crowd. Our police department, our firemen, our EMTs, our beach patrol. Bless them, Heavenly Father. Let no evil befall us. Let no plague come to our dwelling place, especially those that would hazard their lives to protect and serve us. Thank you in our travels. Thank you in the righteous labor of our hands. 
our fellowship one with another, our families, anyone that may be traveling, we declare the blessing of God. No evil befalls us. No plague comes in our dwelling place. Angels have charge. We as your children walk upon serpents and scorpions over all power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means harm us. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that your blessing is upon us. Empower us to witness tonight, all day tomorrow, even on Sunday morning, to talk to somebody about being in the house of the Lord. Let us have an evangelistic fervor in our hearts like never before. That door of utterance that you give us empower us to boldly speak the word. Thank you, Father, for all you're doing. Thank you for your love, your compassion, your mercy, and your grace. We leave tonight walking in faith towards you. We leave tonight walking in love toward one another. Thank you for our church. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ. You've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, anointed by the holiness. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.